This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. So glad that you're here this morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. As the, as the welcome already went out, I'm glad that you made it today. I hope you survived last week. It looks like many of you did. Uh, the interruption of the ice and snow in uh, the valley. It's always fun, is it not? <laughs> Right? All right? We're glad that you're here today. If you're, if you're visiting with us, if this is your first Sunday or you have, you've been visiting and haven't filled out a connection card, I would love to encourage you to fill out a connection card so we can get to know you better. Uh, there's a paper copy in the chair back right in front of you, as well as you can do it electronically by scanning the QR card. QR card. There we go. Uh, and the benefit to all that is if you are here and, and visiting and filling out one of those, if you take it to our welcome booth after the service today, you will be given a gift. Uh, if, you're, if you fill it out, electronically, just take a screenshot of the verification, and they will give you a gift based upon that as well. Uh, A lot of things happening at RLC, and we're excited about all those events. One that I want to call out once again is our Kids Parent Night, and we'll say, woohoo, it's going to be a great night. I can tell you, uh, this is probably... one of my own and my one of my most anticipated nights that's coming up. Uh, we've not had one of these uh, for a long time, and I'm excited for this to happen. I'm excited for what Pastor Sarah wants to bring. And if you are a parent of a child, you are. Uh, possibly wanting to step into volunteering, this is the night that you want to come and you want to hear what God is doing in RLC Kids in 2024. Uh, There's a lot of exciting things that are being unveiled. And uh, how how many love kids, right? We love kids at RLC. They're not just the generation of tomorrow. They are the generation of today. And we want to empower them and impact their lives. Today, uh, I, how many like my, my uh, in-style jacket today, uh, I, right? I got someone clapping for me. You know, I, I see these people and I want what Trenton's got one. I'm like going, I want one of those. I get it yesterday in the mail and I pull it out and put it on and I'm just going, you got one of those? <laughs> like I'm wearing my sheep or something, you know? I just want you to know I went out and I harvested, harvested my yak yesterday and tanned the, tanned the skin, and that's what I'm wearing this morning. Uh, but I look stylish. My, the younger generation said, PK, you look stylish. So, uh, and then my wife learned over to this. She goes, you look really cool today. So in spite of her first initial response yesterday, how many of those initial responses are like, you're wearing that? But husbands, you know you never say that to your wife, right? You're going, oh, you're wearing that, right? Uh, anyway, today we're in our second week of Make Room. Everyone say, Make Room. You can turn to your neighbor and say, would you move over? I need some space. Make Room. Today, uh, I, I, as we began this new series, and I know last week kind of interrupted it, but I truly believe that God, who is in control of all things, was not surprised by our weather, was not surprised by the circumstance. It didn't go the way I wanted it to, but I truly believe it went the way he wanted it to. As I hear that people listen to the sermon uh, two times and all that sort of stuff, I believe that the newness of the topic and the challenge of the topic caused the topic to settle in, and I'm hearing some really good dialogue. And I just want to say, I'm excited about today. I'm anticipating 2024. I'm anticipating what God wants to do in our lives. And as I shared uh, this prayer that I've been praying, a prayer that that is actually a little bit uncomfortable, and I was even questioning it this morning again, going, God, why am I praying this prayer? Um, But God, would you disrupt our lives? Would you disrupt my life? Would you disrupt me? 
And when I think about disruption, I'm saying, God, would you disrupt my complacency? God, would you disrupt my apathy? God, would you disrupt where I have become lukewarm? Because I think of in Revelation when, when Jesus said to the churches, he said, if you are lukewarm, I'm just gonna spit you out. I don't even want part of you. And today I wanna go, God, are you, would you disrupt our lives? Would you make us a little bit uncomfortable? This word disrupt is interrupt to alter the structure of. As you think about your life, where does it need to be interrupted? Where is some structure needing to be changed? How many know that structure, when you are updating structure, you have to kind of go back to the bones of what that structure is. You don't, you're not wanting, you don't just put a piece of sheetrock to fix structure. You have to go back to the bones of that. And so God's wanted to take us back to who we are. And I love this word, uh, the definition of radical change. Would you just, whether you're comfortable or not this morning, would you be uncomfortable with me? Would you lift your hands across this room? Holy Spirit, would you make us Make us uncomfortable. Would you disrupt our lives? God, would you stir us out of apathy and complacency? Would you get us back to the heart, your heart? Would you get us back to what your mission and your purpose is? God, in this topic, as we tackle these words, God, this is not just a five-week series. This is a lifelong series. It's a 2024 series. God, that should not just be transient in our lives. It should be permanent in our lives. So disrupt us, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. I love New Year's. 2024, as we talked, is a brand new year. It's unlived. It's unexperienced. It's undefined. It's, un, it's unknown. It's a year filled with possibilities. You know, and I don't know uh, about you. I love the idea of possibilities. I love the excitement that comes with that. Yes, there's uneasiness that happens with new things, but there's a lot of times that God can and wants to do something in our lives. And what I want you to think about here is what will God do? What can God do? When we step back and we look at the miracles of God's word, and we oftentimes put God in a box, we put God in a, in a, in a boundary line of our lives, and I want to say, what, God, what can God do outside of your boundaries? What can God do without your expectations that sometimes defeat or, or deter him? These five words that we tackled, the first word was new. Today we're tackling the, tackling the word enlarge. And then we'll have stretch, lengthen, and strengthen. And it's, they're, they're all words that go along with this concept of making room. Making room. God wants to do something in our lives. And many times we say, God, well, if you just want to do something, just interrupt, my, just interrupt me. But, you know, I, I can see all throughout Scripture, God goes, I, want to, I can interrupt you, but I'd rather you prepare for my interruption. I'd rather you make yourself ready for me to do what I want to do in your life. This idea of make room is to move aside, to clear, or to create space for something. So this call, this challenge is, yes, God wants to make room in your life, but he's actually asking you to make room in your life for him. He's actually asking you to step into the situation and the mix and the mess and the clutter of your world, of, of your life to go, God, where do I need to make room for you? Where do I need to create space for you? Where do I need to have this margin for you? Where do I need to rearrange? What do I need to rearrange? What do I need to get rid of? What needs to be eliminated out of my life? And as we know, making room has to be this, this kind of goes along with this word declutter. We showed a picture of hoarders and the compulsion of having unnecessary items. They're important to you, but they're not necessarily important. And how many think in our lives that we can become hoarders, whether it's spiritually or even just worldly, where we've allowed things to come in and clutter our lives? 
And that decluttering is to remove those unnecessary lives, that disorder and that chaos. As you step back and you look at your life, can you see where, you're, where you have been impeded by the things that have cluttered your life? Where you've been removed from the target? I can tell you, I was sharing this morning in transparency, someone going, the fast is almost done. And I'm like going, yeah, I'm anticipating some meat because I've not been eating meat. But can I tell you, just as much as there's an anticipation for the fast to be done, I want to be really honest with you. I'm nervous for the fast to be done. For this fact, I don't trust Kevin. I've eliminated a lot of stuff in my life. I put a lot of boundaries, I've decluttered a lot. And I know Kevin in my frailties, in my humanity, that I could easily let those things creep back in. As I step back and I see how decluttered and how the Holy Spirit's been working in my life and challenging me and going, I love this, but I know that Tuesday's coming. And in Tuesday, I could give permission for all of, of the social media to come back on my phone. I can allow the parameters off of my games to come back on, uh, into my life. I can allow the TV watching to come back into my life. And, and I'm not saying those are evil, but can I tell you, those things clutter our lives. They distract us from what God wants to do. And so I'm praying for you. Would you pray for me? Pray for us as we step into this new season. Last week, we looked really, our last week, two weeks, we looked at Isaiah 43 and we talked about trusting God. We talked about releasing the past. We talked about embracing this new thing that is there and expecting God to make a way. I realized that it kind of hit some people uh, uh, right through the front door and they're standing at a gate going, I don't know really what's new and do I want something new? And I think it's been a process of, of adjusting. But I made this statement, it says, if I want to experience something new, I have to see something new and I have to start doing something new. So today, when we think about this idea of newness, we can see the new thing, but if we don't change our perspective and do something, we're not gonna experience the new thing. You can step back and you can look at someone else's life and you can be enamored by what God is doing, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be part of what God's doing. How many know that you've got to change, your, change you so you can encounter those things? Today, I want to step into enlarge, get to work. Everyone say get to work. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I, don't, I, I work a full-time job. I don't want to work more in my spirituality. I don't want to do this work as, can I tell you? We're not working for salvation, we're working for sanctification. We're not working for salvation, you're saved today. We're working that we grow in God. We're working that we are transformed and renewed. And I wanna step immediately into Isaiah 54, our passage of scripture that we're gonna settle on for the next four weeks. I wanna remind you, Isaiah is a, a book of 66 chapters. And in those chapters, there's 39 of them that are judgment and there are 27 of them that are about hope and restoration. Isaiah 54 is about hope and restoration. It's about looking forward and seeing not the judgment that God has pronounced on Israel, but the hope for Israel. And I don't know if you realize it or not, this yes is speaking directly to Israel, but prophetically to the church of Jesus Christ prophetically to the kingdom of God. So when we step into this, we, I want us to understand what Isaiah is and is talking to Israel, but I also want you to realize it's talking to you. It's talking to us as the church. Isaiah 54, 
Sing, barren woman. You, knew, you who never bore a child burst into song. Shout for joy, you, were, you who were never in labor. Because you more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. God, today I thank you for this passage of scripture. I thank you for hope. God, I pray that you would open our ears. We open our ears. We pray that you would touch our hearts. God, help us, help us to get this word from our understanding into our hearts to shape us and into our hands to make action. I pray these in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to understand that the context of this passage of scripture is filled with darkness. Out of, out of, out of judgment and calamity, God is trying to bring hope. And it's a culture of darkness. The his, Israel's history was dark. Israel's history had a series of rick, wicked rulers. The land was desolate. The temple had been destroyed. And they are now held captive in Babylon. As we look at the darkness of, history, of the history of, Isra, of the Israelites, can I tell you that it did not look like a victorious nation. It didn't look like anything that was hopeful. Can anybody look at your current circumstances and see the darkness that's around us? that God's bringing hope in the midst of darkness. This prophecy of Isaiah was addressed to the one who has yet to bear fruit, the barren woman being Israel, the one who was God's blessed nation, one who God said, I will be with you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. But this barren woman had clear limitations. She had no natural capacity to produce offspring on her own. As we looked a couple weeks ago, we saw that the barren woman was one who was, it was a shameful position. It was one that was, was, was overlooked and was shamed in, in culture. It was one of those that, that uh, was looked down on, second class. And here this, this idea of Israel, of us as Christians, being looked down on and being, being barren without children. How many know that without God, Without the power of God in our life, we can't produce either. This importance of this picture, the Lord tells the barren woman that sets the tone for all of this, and I just wanna take a real quick moment this morning to set this platform. The Lord tells the barren woman that she needs to sing for fruitfulness is coming. How many know that when you feel childless or you feel discouraged, singing is the last thing that you want to do? It's not singing after the victory, it's singing before the victory. Is singing as you step into it. So today you may be going, Pastor Kevin, I don't know what this looks like and I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like rejoicing. I don't see anything new. Can I tell you that God himself through this prophecy was declaring, you must sing and rejoice for fruit is coming before you even see the fruit coming. There's gotta be something that changes inside of you. Charles Spurgeon says this, make ready for God's blessing. You are pining and groaning for greater things than these. Anybody here in this room that feel a tad discontent with where you're at with God? Anybody in this room feel a tad discontent on the power of God in your life and what you're seeing in our world today? 
Can I tell you, as we think about this, this pining and this groaning for greater things than these, he goes on to say, God is about to bless you. He's about to enlarge your tents, lengthen the cords, and strengthen the stakes. Prepare for the coming blessing. For you, are have, for, for you are to have better and brighter days than you have ever known. Therefore, be no more sad, but look forward with joyful anticipation to the good things in store for you. Can I tell you, my personality sometimes struggles with seeing the joyful thing before the joyful thing is there. Anybody else out there? I believe that God is speaking directly to us this morning that if we want to see the enlargement, if we want to see what God is doing, we've got to adjust this in here first. We've got to see it with our spiritual eye. We've got to anticipate it. Rejoicing is an act of faith and part of enlarging. We rejoice in what we do not say. Faith is believing what we do not see. For the barren woman to rejoice means that she had to accept this word, not just in her head, but she had to believe this word in her heart. She had to come to this place of going, okay, no, I believe this. For me to enlarge my tent, for me to do these things, I have to first see it and accept that it's there. The instruction to enlarge the tent was given to this barren woman. While God gave her a promise of enlargement, he also gave her instructions in the right attitudes and steps to take in preparing for it. In Bible times, when we talk about tent dwelling and their fam- tent dwellers and their families, it was a their their need for a growing tent based up, was based upon their growing of their family. Today, in our culture, you need a bigger tent. You're going to go to REI, you're going to go to Big Five, and you're going to just get a bigger tent. For us to understand this idea of the tent of 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 this era, they didn't just go buy a bigger tent. They had to enlarge their tent. They had to expand their tent. The tent is a major topic of, this, of this, these verses that we're going to be looking at. It's a metaphor for God wanting to expand his kingdom. I want you to think about the tent of your life as we step into these next four weeks. This tent is a portable shelter made of cloth, nylon, canvas, animal skin, whatever. It's supported by one or two poles and stretched tight by cords attached to stakes driven into the ground. I realized today that... Uh, not everybody knows what a tent is. And so go, go, to, the, uh, go to the picture of, of the tents right there. There's multiple different kinds. These are obviously drawings here. That, but uh, it, how, how many have ever tent camped? How many have ever stayed in a tent? So we have majority of you. Some of you have not. So you're like going, I, I don't want to do this. Can I tell you the older I get, I don't want to do this either. I'd rather glamp in a trailer. Anybody out there can woohoo about a trailer out there? Uh, but I can tell you when you're backpacking, this is all you got and you're thankful for this. Uh, but this idea of tents, is, it, they're, they're all different forms and formats. The history of tents spans thousands of years backwards. Tents have served various purposes from shelter and celebrations and military, to the military, uh, uh, housing and recreation, recreational and camping. But what I want us to see today is the tent that Isaiah is talking about. If you want to put that picture up there. Living in tents is of ancient origin. The patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in their tents. Uh, The children of Israel lived in tents during their 40 years in the wilderness. The Bedouins' home is their tent made of black goat's hair. It serves to protect the family in winter from the cold winds, and in the summer, the sides are lifted and the tents serve as a sunshade. The tent is usually an oblong shape and is divided into two and sometimes three apartments. 
by goat's hair curtains. The entrance leads into the apartment for the men, which also serves as a reception apartment. Beyond this is the apartment of the women and the children, and sometimes there's a third apartment for the servants or for their cattle. New tents are very seldom made. About the only time a new tent is made is when a young groom and his bride set up housekeeping for themselves in a different location from that of their parents. The enlarging procedure is to accumulate the goat skins over a year or so. Goat skin, they ate ate their goats. I got my goat skin on today. And they would save their skins and they would make these skins into strips and weave them together to to repair the old tent or to enlarge the old tent. The uh, section of the tent uh, roof that is most worn or is ripped and a new piece uh, and in need of a new piece uh, of cloth replaces it. The old piece is then used for a side curtain. Each year, new strips of skin replace old ones, and the tent is handed down from father to son without it being, not, not ever being completely new or completely old at one time. As the tent dweller's family grows larger, or as he becomes richer and wishes to enlarge his tent, he does so by simply adding another section of goat hair onto his old tent. Isaiah had this picture in mind when he's talking about these verses of Scripture. He's coming with a definite direction and a goal. He's, how many realize that expansion is not a fast, easy process? It's a saving up for, it's a preparing for, it's an anticipation for. The Bedouins had to live in anticipation. They had to save for a year to gather their skins to be able to add on or to replace. Many times in our American culture, we're thinking, well, let's just do this and get this done. In Kevin's mind, I'm going, let's just do this and get this done. But how many know that in God's idea, it's not a microwave culture, it's a crockpot culture. And God's wanting to do something in us and change us. This word enlarge is to make larger, to extend further, and to expand. Isaiah is declaring this idea of enlargement as a step of faith. We see that this woman had stepped in faith to grasp this. Isaiah 54, I love the words of Eugene Peterson in the message. I just want to read it to you so you can hear it. It says, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big. Everyone say, think big. Use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take your whole, uh, you're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle uh, uh, abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. Can I tell you, I think it's key that Isaiah is coming with that phrase, don't be afraid. Because oftentimes when we look at, at the idea of enlarging or lengthening or stretching or new, a sense of fear comes over us, whether it's the fear of the new or just the contentment of the old. But he goes on and he says, don't. Uh, don't hold back, you're you're not going to come up short. The reason I love Eugene Peterson's here, as he writes, I sense excitement and anticipation. My desire, if of anything, as we step into these weeks of, of sermons, is that you would come with a sense of anticipation. Begin to look at your life with a sense of anticipation. Today, I want to give you three points, three points on how we must enlarge. And it's going to take work. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to take work. Put your gloves on. Let's get ready to work. Number one, we must resist small thinking. 
resist small thinking. Last sermon, we, did, we talked about don't despise the small beginnings. And today we're saying don't resist and settle into small things. Can I tell you that oftentimes there's this, this tension that we're to recognize the shoot coming up and we're to anticipate it, we're to perceive it, and we're to be excited about it, but we're not to be content with the small shoot. Why? Because there's a tree in that shoot. There's apples in that shoot. We would never be content with that shoot staying small when you're hoping for apples. Am I correct? And that's this mindset of small thinking. We must desire to enlarging. But as we think of enlarging and even taking the steps that we are taking steps for enlargement, we're often, often confronted by our own limitations. This word limitations, being confined or restricted. Having something that holds you back. Something that's preventing you from doing or being what God's purposes have for you to be. How many have ever been confronted by their limitations? How many struggle embracing your limitations? We all have limitations. We have a need for sleep. We have a need for food. We have a need for time, strength. We have a need for ability. We have mental, mental limitations. We have physical limitations. We have emotional limitations. And oftentimes we have those limitations of contentment and apathy and excuses that hold us back from being what God wants us to be. The key enemy of enlarging is the thought that this is as far as I can go. This is as far as I can go. You know, I was born on the wrong side of the, on the, wrong side of the tracks. I don't have this, I don't have that. Can we not begin to go through of all of our limitations? We can begin to say, well, you know, I'm just not good at that. I wanna ask you this morning, how do they keep a 10 foot tall, 10,000 pound circus elephant from running away? This elephant was created for freedom, created to roam more than 200,000 acres in the wild in a year, has been now reduced to a 10 to 12 foot circle. They put a chain, metal chain onto a collar around the elephant's leg and chain it to a 30 inch wooden peg that's hammered into the ground. The hulk of an animal could easily snap the chain, uproot the peg and escape to freedom, but it doesn't do that. In fact, it doesn't even try. The world's most powerful animal, which can uproot a tree as easily as you and I can break a toothpick, remains tied by a stake and a chain. Why is this? It's because when the elephant was a baby, its trainer used the exact same method. A chain was attached to a collar on its leg and the other end of the, of the chain was attached to a stake in the ground. And that chain and, and stake were strong enough for the baby elephant. When it tried to break away, the metal chain would pull it back. Tempted by the world of its freedom in the, in the distance, the elephant would pull harder, but the collar around his leg would cut into its skin, creating a wound and creating hurt for the elephant. Soon the elephant realized it was futile in trying to escape, so it stopped trying. So now when this big circus elephant is tied by a collar around his leg, it remembers the pain and the boundaries of the past. It remembers the pain of being a baby and not being able to break away. So even though it's just a chain at a wooden stake and the elephant stands still, it remembers its limitations and, and knows that can only move as far as the chain will allow. It doesn't matter that that baby elephant was only 400 pounds and now the full grown elephant is 10,000 pounds. 
The elephant was conditioned by the belief that it wasn't able to go any further. When we think about it in our own life, can I tell you today that God's created you and I with insurmountable power? We don't have these boundaries. We're to roam and we're to stretch and we're to expand and we're to grow. But somewhere in our life, we have a chain that is around our ankle that keeps pulling us back. And we've created this limitation in our hearts and in our minds. And I ask you today, what is it that's limiting you? What is it that has become the chain and the stake in your life that if you would allow God to remove it from you, you could actually be what he wants you to be? If anyone understood limitations, this barren woman did. She knew that it was impossible unless you were the Virgin Mary to become pregnant without a husband. As we saw in the end of this verse, verses of scripture, the segment that we're looking at, Jesus, God himself comes and says, I will be your husband. I will be the one that comes alongside you. Enlarging requires us to get out of our small thinking. Enlarging requires us to stretch our limited view of God. I think of the Old Testament story in, in Numbers, Joshua and Caleb, they see this, they're, they're part of 12 spies that go into the promised land and they're the two that see all the potential and there's the 10 that come back and go, no, it's not, we're not able to do it. Numbers 13 says this, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up now and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. I hear statements even from our first week that people are going, yeah, come on, let's go to the new thing. But then I hear more that are like the 10 to go, but I don't know if we can. Verse 31 says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread, uh, and they spread this among the Israelites, a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the, the Nephilim and the, and the, the descendants of Anak. Uh, we, see, we seemed like grasshoppers in, their, in, in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. How many sometimes put our perceptions on someone else when you've never had a conversation with somebody else? They're coming and go, we were grasshoppers. Did you stop and ask them, oh, you guys look like grasshoppers? Can I tell you today, enlarging is not just giving more space with our heart, it's giving more space with our eyes. What do you see on this next screen? You guys ruin it all. How many see the black dot? Can I tell you, when we look at it and we see a black dot and we obsess about the black dot, and our perspective becomes the black dot, and the goal of this, this slide here is not to see the black dot, but to see the potential of the white space, to see the greatness. We look at the black dot and go, this is who I am. And God's looking at the, at the, he's going, no, this is who you are. This is who you are in me. This is the potential that you have. When we're faced with our limits, we, what we do at the moment, at that moment is key. We have two choices. One, to resign with the attitude to go, I can't go any further. Today, we're confronted with a new thing. We're confronted with the idea of enlarging. And you're going, I just have no more capacity. I have no more strength. I'm too busy. And can I tell you today, if that's the case in your, in your situation, then you need to step back and go, God, where do I need to declutter my life? Because God's calling us to enlarge. 
The other response is to see the greatness of God. When we confront our limitations, when we confront our thinking and our perspective, at that moment is when, when we come to the end of our ability is when we come to the beginning of God's miraculous power. Can I tell you, it was God that gave the Israelites the promised land, not their power and authority, not their, not their strength. We have to change our perspective to the largeness of God. Today, God is not going to get any bigger than he is. We just don't see him as big enough. Whether it's a miracle of health, whether it's a miracle of relationship, whether it's a miracle of finances, your God is more than able. But we've got to begin to see him as more than able. And I asked the question that, that God, the angel, asked Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? If God's given you a dream, is it too hard for God? It may be too hard for you, then good. That's when you have to rely on him. Point number two, prepare to occupy. Enlarging is active preparation, not passive. Enlarging is not sitting there thinking about it. Enlarging is stepping in and doing Enlarging is stepping in and clearing out those things in your life, taking, bringing the disciplines in. It's, it's enlarging to encompass something greater and, and a, a greater territory. Exodus chapter 23, God's direction and his promise to the Israelites as they're on the way to the promised land, God says this to them. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guard you, to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land and I will wipe them out. I love verse 25. Worship the Lord your God. What does worship do? It enlarges God. It enlarges God. That's why God, even in the beginning of this passage of scripture in Isaiah, is saying, rejoice, sing, sing, worship. Look at the bigness of God. Recognize that it's not all you. Worship the Lord your God. Make him big in your lives and his blessing will be on your food and your water. I will take away sickness. None will miscarry or be barren. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will, sing all your, I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run, but I will not drive them out in a single year. Why? Because the land would become desolate and wild animals are too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I read this passage of scripture and I see a lot of work. See a lot of effort. We see that if you understand the book of Joshua, when this did happen, this was a 25 year span of time that Joshua, before they actually possessed the land of, of battling in the land. In this passage of scripture, there's very direct things that you and I are directed to do. One, we're to pay attention. We're to obey, we're not to rebel. We're to listen carefully. We're to demolish all of our other gods. We're to declutter our lives and we're to worship the Lord our God. God says he'll come in and he'll guard. He'll bring us into the place. He'll be, uh, uh, I will be an enemy to your enemies. I'll wipe them out. I'll bless you. I'll take away sickness. I'll give you life. We think about this and we think about the amount of work or intensity that it requires of us. Zig Ziglar says this, it may not be easy, but it's going to be worth it. 
Can I tell you the Israelites may have been all jazzed to step into war, but 25 years later, can you, can you imagine that they were tired? But let me ask you, was it worth it to them? Yeah, they had just possessed the promised land. God increases the territory as you and I possess the territory. Possession comes with hard work of small, consistent disciplines and routines that develop into a lifestyle. The Israelites were promised the land, but it wasn't actually theirs until they possessed it. There was this promise out there. Can I tell you? There's this promise over our lives that God's declaring, if you will enlarge, if you will rejoice, if you will begin to prepare, there is something that is there. I'm promising you that. But you actually won't have it until you step into it and possess it. We can stand on the sidelines and go, oh, I want that. And God's going, possess it. But God, possess it. We can step back and go, well, why do they have? Because they stepped in and possessed it. God knew that he could drop the promised land into their laps. But can I tell you this? He knew they did not have the capacity to control the promised land. They didn't have the capacity to handle it and to steward it and to maneuver it. Today, when I think of enlarging, God could drop the city of Salem into the church's lap today. But does the church of God have the capacity and ability to steward what God's given them? He expected the Israelites to step in and to possess and to remove the obstacles city after city after city to take care of and to learn to expand their, their abilities in stewarding what was there. We like the idea of having the miracle. We like the idea of having it dropped in our lives, but God doesn't want you to be defeated by your, his blessing. He wants you to succeed in his blessing. What you do daily determines who you become permanently. I want to challenge you as you begin to prepare, how does this apply to your life? What you begin to do daily from this point on, from the realization of this, is what you are going to become. The power of routine in your life. Where you're at today is the power of the routine that you've had up to this point. Where you're at in complacency or victory, where you're at in, in discouragement or, or joy, is where is the power of the routine in your life up to this point. We've got to change the trajectory of our pattern. Number three, most importantly, we have to partner with God. We live in a very physical, but a very spiritual world. We've used the illustration before of the rowboat with the two oars. I didn't originate it. The two oars, the oar of the practical and the oar of the spiritual. And you row in the practical one, just with one oar, and you're going to go in circles one way. And you row in the spiritual one with just that oar, you're going to go in circles the other way. The only way you will get to the destination is by simultaneously rowing with both oars. So God gave us this ability and this power that, yes, there's expectation upon our lives, but there's also expectation upon him. Psalms 127 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Everyone say unless. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. It's not removing from this equation the builders who are laboring. He's saying unless God is joined with your endeavors, it's not going to grow. 
without God joining your endeavors and your obedience. Can I tell you that it's gonna be in vain? This word in vain is to have no end, to be without success. Christians, people, we need to step back and we need to wake up and go, does the church of Jesus Christ look successful today? If it does not, then we're missing something. We may have all the practical down, but we're not pulling with the spiritual. You may have all the spiritual down, but you're not applying the practical. Can I tell you a simultaneous effort that we have to be able to do this? We having no real value or significance, worthlessness, empty, futile. As you step back and you look at your life, do you feel worthless? Do you feel insignificant? Then probably what you need to step back and go, am I living my life in vain without God's power. I've discovered that when I work alone, even though I may be doing the right things, I'm doing them in vain. I know that I have to partner with God. Each time I step out into obedience to take steps of change, I always experience opposition, whether it's internal opposition or external opposition. How many recognize that we all have an enemy that wants to fight us. We all all have an enemy that is, you stepped into 2024 and you began to determine to go, I want to be different. God, I want, God, I want, I, I want you to disrupt my life. Can I tell you the moment that you said, God, I want you to disrupt your life, the enemy's gonna come in and go, I'm gonna disrupt your life. You have an opposer. You have someone that wants to defeat you. The enemy wants to oppose God's new thing. The enemy wants to stand in the way of God's purposes, but you have a battle that you have to stand and to walk out in obedience. Ephesians 6 says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. The Bible is very clear that we have three enemies in our life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have three enemies in our life that when we step into battle, when we step into enlarging, can I tell you just the same concept that God is saying, hey, I'm gonna give you this promised land, but until you learn to battle those enemies, until you learn to subject them, until you overcome them, I can't give you the land because they're gonna defeat you. Ephesians chapter two says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you allowed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who are, are all, of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We here see here the, wor- the world, the ruler of the air is Satan and our flesh. Paul is writing this passage of scripture in past tense. He's declaring over our lives that there's an anticipation in God that we're going to walk not out. We're not going to be saved continually because salvation is a gift, but that we're going to walk in sanctification, that we're going to walk in holiness, that we're going to walk in our, what we know, that in our walking in sanctification, we're battling the world in us. We're resisting the enemy that's trying to oppress us, and we're saying no to our flesh, Can I tell you, your greatest opponent in your life right now for the new thing, for enlarging the little enemy that's in your head that's lying, whether it's a demonic demon that's whispering to you or your flesh that's declaring to you or it's the world that's trying to say, but you could have. 
There are all struggles that we all encounter. And I want to say this. I want you to understand this today. I don't see a demon under every bush. But there are all struggles that you and I will encounter that are demonically induced. They're demonically inspired. They're demonically empowered. They're problems that have to do with the powers of darkness. Some of you are here today and you're going, God, I want to enlarge, but I don't know how. I feel like I'm trapped. And today, some of those areas are what we would call strongholds in your life. I don't believe that a believer in Christ can be demon-possessed, but I believe that there can be strongholds that are placed against your life. And strongholds are built over time as you refuse to challenge thinkings or habits. The open door for the enemy is in your life is allowing him in his patience to be able to place a brick and a stone and a brick and a stone. And eventually, there's a stronghold in your life. Pastor Kevin defined to me what is a stronghold. Something that governs you and constantly attacks you. Can I tell you, when we step back into our culture today, when we step back and look at our lives today, the strongholds in our lives are addictions. The strongholds in our lives are self-image issues, thought issues, insecurities, sickness, whatever those things can be, the enemy has placed a stone in our lives and we begin to believe what he has said. The taller that stronghold gets, the more we get absorbed by it. You say, Pastor Kevin, this sounds hopeless. But in Jesus, there's always hope. Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? They replied, some say that John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responded and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will expand my church. I will enlarge my church. But he's going, is there people that are going to do the enlarging with me? He could have possessed the land, the promised land, but he needed to send the Israelites in to occupy the land. I'm gonna take the next few moments and I'm actually gonna read what I manuscripted so I can get through the content. I want you to hear the context of this verse of scripture. Would you pay attention? Would you tolerate my reading? I really feel that this is a clincher that you need to hear today. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. I tell you that you are Peter. This Greek word Peter was Petros, meaning a little rock. And upon this Rock, big rock, Petra, I will make, build my church. Jesus says, I tell you, that Peter, you are this little stone, but on this rock, I will build my church. The Catholics often believe that it was Peter was the first Pope. And so upon Peter, the church would be built. Protestants come in and we believe that it was a difference between Petros and Petra. So therefore upon the confession of Peter's faith, the church would be built. But I want to suggest to you another perspective Something else is happening here. Remember that they're at the Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is on the northern edge of Galilee. The region is thoroughly Roman. It is very wicked. It is spiritually dark. It is a city given over to idol worship and to a cult. It is so spiritually dark that no Jewish rabbi would ever take his would ever go there, let alone take his disciples there. And here Jesus takes them there. 
for the purpose of teaching them by the way of an object lesson. In Caesarea Philippi, there's this ginormous rock. If you're able to look close, you can see the evidence of shrines carved out of the caves and markings and carved words to a whole bunch of pagan gods. There would be a temple back up against the rock where, to the god Pan. He is the Roman god of fertility. If you were walking up to the temple on that day, you would see priests who, ever, who are, were having sexual relations with animals as well as temple prostitutes. And if you wanted to worship, you'd go do the same. Darkness. This is the, in the, there's a large hole in the rock known as the gate of Hades. So when Jesus talks about the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it, this is the gate of Hades. He's in the ancient times mind, they believed that this was one of the, op- this was the opening to the underworld. When people, uh, when, when Christian people, the Christian theology died, they would go to the realm of the dead, which was, and there was two sides. The realm of the wicked dead was Hades and the realm of the righteous dead was Abraham's bosom or paradise. What we have to understand is the theological background. When Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb, when Jesus died, he didn't just lay in that tomb and wait for three days to happen, resting to rise. He actually went to work. He descended into Sheol, which is the realm of, the, which was Hades. And he went to both sides. He went to the realm of the righteous dead and set the captives free and the righteous people he took from paradise to heaven. So Abraham, Abraham, David and Abraham and all those are in heaven today. But on the part of Hades, he went in and Jesus declared and preached victory and he took from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave. We see in Revelation chapter one that it's referred to that he triumphs with death, hell, and the the keys to death, hell, and grave. Jesus says, upon this rock, I want you to understand, upon this rock of philosophy and idea, Jesus doesn't just build his kingdom on the nice and beautiful places. He builds his kingdom on the dark, ugly, and evil, wicked places. He says that even the powers of darkness cannot stop him. Peter, you're a little rock, but I'm gonna give you something. And it's gonna make such a difference in your lives that hell will not be able to stand against you. You're gonna be able to reclaim the earth in my name, not just the good places, but the dark, evil places, the wicked places, the places where people are in bondage. Jesus says, I will build my church. That word ecclesia is the word that comes from two words called out from an assembly of. But not only was it those two words, there was a Greek meaning, ecclesia meaning that there was a government, governing body, a senate that they ruled. So Jesus is not just talking about the called out one or the assembly. He's talking about this government, this ruling. Jesus is saying that you, that saying, you see this big rock over here, Peter? You're a little stone. You may not think you're much against this big rock, but I'm gonna build my governing body called the church. This ruling assembly, my senate of righteousness that will reclaim the earth and it will uh, be so powerful and so strong. I'm giving you such authority that the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. Gates throughout the Bible are a place where business was done. Gates at the, throughout the Bible were a place where of, def, uh, of decision-making. They were a place of defensiveness and offensiveness. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give to the church these keys to these gates. I am going to release an army that the enemy cannot defeat. And I ask you today, are you part of the army? Are you part of the army? 
I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I will show you how to dismantle demonic power and demonic authority. Today, we have keys to get into our vehicle. You know that a, a house key is not gonna turn on your car. You know that your car key is not gonna open your house. I have a ring of keys at South Campus that open multitudes of doors, but only one key is gonna do that. And Jesus is coming and saying, I'm gonna give you the keys. These keys that Jesus gave us are what we would call binding the loosing. Jesus goes on and says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The binding and loosing in this language, binding means to forbid, to restrict, and to prohibit. To loose means to permit, to allow, and to make room for. Fascinating. The Greek translation of this, word, of this, of this actual verse, whatever you forbid on earth must already be forbidden in heaven. Can I tell you today, this promise that God's saying, this key that he's given us, is not a key for you just to go, whatever I want to do. No, it's what, what's, what's happening in heaven right now, you can, for, you can loose on earth. What's happening on earth that's not loosed in heaven, you can forbid on earth. You have this power, this authority. We are to bind what is already forbidden in heaven and to loose what is already loosed in heaven and in earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, there's no sickness in heaven. We can, we can forbid sickness. There's no dissension and disunity. We can forbid dis, dissension and disunity. There's no rebellion and lust and greed and provision. We can forbid these things. We can loose love. We can loose healthy self-perspective. We can loose all these things that are already there, that I am a child of God. Jesus has authorized us to attack the domain of darkness. We're not to just stay defensive. Church, it's time that we step up and be on the offensive. How big does a ruling council have to be? The Bible tells us that two or three are better than one. This power of agreement, enlarging, Church, we've got to get together. We've got to get to work. We've got to do the practical and we've got to do the spiritual. You're here today going, God, I don't know how to, I, I want to enlarge, but this thing keeps taking over in my life. Is it a stronghold? Is it something that you need to bind and something you need to loose? As I close, God wants to enlarge your life, your territory in 2024. Do you believe that today? That's the first thing that you need to come into acceptance with, that God wants to enlarge my life. If you don't accept the fact that he wants to enlarge your life, you're not, gonna, you're not seeing it and you won't do it. In doing this, we must resist small thinking. We've got to enlarge God in our perspectives. We must take the necessary steps, the routines, in order to occupy this territory. And we must embrace the weapons of our warfare. We must, because without partnering with God, we're laboring in vain. You're doing all the practical without any of the power. God, today I pray in the name of Jesus. Across this room, would you help us to see God, help us to feel this tension in our lives. 
Not attention to eliminate, but attention to manage. Attention to surrender to. God, as you disrupt our comforts, expand us. God, help us to take the steps of enlarging. God, we resist today small thinking. God, it's not about just what we can do. It's about what you want to do in us. Give us eyes to see who you are. God, as we begin to step into occupying, God, would you give us the ability to change our routines that we can possess the land? But God, more importantly, help us to step in and utilize the keys of the kingdom. And God, today, I believe that there are people that are feeling challenged. God, it is you that wants to build the church, but you want to use us. We're part of the army. God, help us to sign up for the army once again, to re-enlist. Some of us are sitting here going, but Pastor Kevin, I can't even take care of my own life. How do I step into the army? Can I tell you that's this process? God's saying, would you get ready so you can be part of my army? Would you get ready so you can be part of the victory and success? Today, as we apply this, where do you need to resist small thinking? Would you identify what's limiting you? If you're in connect groups, would you begin to do this so you're prepared on Wednesday? Identify what's limiting you. What are the first things you need to clear out and how do you need to occupy your life differently? What are the routines that need to shift? Where have you been working in vain? Where have you been working in religious duty rather than life-giving relationship? Where have you just been doing the right things rather than out of the right heart? And lastly today, most importantly probably is we all need to identify what our opposition is in our life. Is it a stronghold? What's binding us? What's keeping us? And would you begin to practice the keys of the kingdom? Battle for your life, battle for your territory. God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you today for the power of your word. I thank you are, that, are, that God, you are God that has already given us the answers before we've even asked. God, this may be a repetition to some but it may be new to others. And I pray, God, would you help us to step into it like we've never stepped into it before. God, that we would unleash the power of God in our lives. Unleash the power of God in our community, in our workplaces. God, I pray, enlarge us, enlarge us. Help us to see the new thing. Give us eyes to perceive. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, our prayer team is coming at this moment to pray with you. They believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. Maybe it's a stronghold that you need to pray with. Have them pray for you. That would be a fantastic idea. God bless you. If you filled out a connection card, make sure you drop it off at the Connect, connect booth out there, welcome booth, and they'll give you a gift. We're so glad you came today. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.